If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're on this journey uh, looking at prayer and how that prayer provides power for our everyday life and power for our church. Uh, while you're turning there or flipping there on Version app or wherever, um, however you're getting to that copy of Scripture, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, as a church, uh, we pray at 1 o'clock for one minute, for one thing. We do this every day, uh, and hopefully you're joining us. How many of y'all pray sometime during the week, one o'clock, one minute, one thing? Go ahead and raise your hands, all right? If you aren't, uh, go ahead and put your hands down. If you aren't, will you stand up? I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, Here's what we want to do. We want the church in unison, uh, 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 corporately, to pray together. And this is very important for the life of our church and the lifestyle of our church. Uh, so I encourage you, go ahead and set your alarm and, and just take one minute at one o'clock and pray for this one thing. Now, uh, in 2019, we've been praying for the one. Uh, the one is that person that God has planted in your sphere of influence that he would use you to help them see their need for him. Uh, It's a person in your life that you believe uh, is far from God, is not yet part of God's family, who is uh, living a hopeless life because they're living without God in this world. And you see them, and God has laid them upon your heart, and you are praying that God would give you an opportunity in the nine remaining months of 2019 to help that one find their way to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the one. And you've been praying for that. We've been praying, and, and over 500 names of ones that you've identified, that you turned in, you've identified your one, you've named that one, and, and you turned in those cards. And if you haven't turned in the name of your one yet, you can do that, put it, in, uh, put it on the back of one of the blue cards, and, and you can uh, turn it in. Uh, later on, uh, give it to one of the staff members or some, somebody like me. Somebody that looks official, just hand that card to him and say, this is my one, and we'll get it to where it needs to go. But I've been praying for these ones, and, and I know that you've been praying. But here's the prayer I want us to pray at 1 o'clock today, tomorrow, and through the rest of the week. Uh, Lord, show me how I can invest this week in my one. Pretty wide open prayer. It may be an invitation to go have coffee. It may be uh, inviting uh, your one to a uh, 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 ladies' night. They're doing uh, coffee and conversations and playing bunk- bunco or whatever that game is. I don't know, but, but they're doing that. And maybe it's inviting them to that event. Uh, maybe it is uh, inviting them to come to your small group, your life group, uh, whether on campus or off campus. Uh, maybe it's uh, just to have coffee. Maybe it's speaking their love language and taking them to Mission Barbecue to eat. And, and isn't that your love language? It is certainly mine. So uh, anyway, that it, it is. It how Lord show me how to invest in that one so that we can build a bridge to them and help them see. Do you believe that Jesus can change a life? Do you believe that apart from Jesus, we are empty and lost? If we believe those two things to be true, then we must invest in the one so that they don't enter into eternity lost 
and empty and headed for judgment. And this is important stuff. It's not some minor thing. So let's pray. God, show me how to invest in the one. The second, prayer, the second thing that I would share with you is that uh, we're memorizing Scripture together as well. Not only are we praying uh, at 1 o'clock for one thing for one minute, Lord, how can I invest in the one? But we're also memorizing Scripture together. And these cards that look like this, you see them around. Pick one up, and it tells you where we are on the journey of Scripture memory Last week, we memorized Galatians 2.20. That was kind of an easy one, wasn't it? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Yes, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, that's a powerful passage. This week, we're looking at Psalm 119, verse 105. How many of y'all were in vacation Bible school at some point in time in your life? Vacation Bible school. This is a vacation Bible school memory verse. And many of y'all will know it when I start saying it, and you can say it with me uh, as soon as you recognize it. Okay, are you ready? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, if you memorize it the way I did, it was thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All right? So uh, however you want to do it, that's okay. You can do the these and the thous. That's fine. Uh, you can uh, do it uh, with the use or the use, and that'd be fine too. But Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light in my path. And that's important for us because as we open God's word today, we're looking for direction from God on how to experience a blessed life. You remember last week, uh, we looked at Psalm 32 and, and looked at uh, the very first verse. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We talked about being blessed. Blessedness uh, in Old Testament and New Testament talks about being happy and joyful and satisfied in life. And the promise of God is that we can be blessed. We can have a joyful life and a happy life and a satisfied life when we walk practicing the presence of God every day. But sin gets in the way of us practicing the presence of God. Uh, sin stands as a barrier between us and God. As followers of Jesus, we begin to block fellowship with God by our sin. It, it's not like God disowns us. We're still his sons and daughters through faith in Christ. But the fellowship between God and us is, is blocked because I have walked away from God in my sin. And the remedy, uh, the, the escape of that distance between me and God is the prayer of confession. And that's Psalm 32. When I acknowledge my sin, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, that, that's a beautiful promise that God has given to us. As followers of Jesus, we can experience a blessed life. We can experience a happy, joyful, satisfied life through the prayer of confession. Today, we're continuing in that flow. Practicing the presence of God through prayer leads to a blessed life. Now, this is what Jesus is talking about 
in Matthew chapter 6. If you remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all know Jesus, uh, he, he had been uh, uh, tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. Uh, he had picked his disciples. They started following him. He goes up on a hillside and, and, in Galilee and begins to preach or teach. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. At the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about being blessed. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. He talks about a blessed life. He says, here is a pattern of life. As followers of Christ, when we practice the presence of God in our life, we will be pure in heart. We will be poor in spirit. We will mourn over our sin. We will, uh, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. We'll be a peacemaker and we will be a risk taker for Jesus. And the benefit, the blessing is we shall see God. We shall receive mercy. We shall be satisfied. We shall inherit the kingdom of God. We will experience the blessings of God's kingdom in our everyday life when we live the life of practicing God's presence, uh, especially in prayer. So Matthew chapter 6 takes the Beatitudes and shows us the pathway to take hold of them. How do we experience a blessed life? Jesus um, uh, teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 9. Now, this is the model prayer. Some of you call it the Lord's Prayer. I've called it the Lord's Prayer. Call it the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, but it's the model prayer. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, see, you knew that. You knew it probably without even reading it. That, that, wouldn't have been great if that were the memory verse this week? Yeah, that have been great. But we know this passage because we've recited the Lord's Prayer over and over again when I was a kid. Uh, playing football, they knew I was a preacher's kid, and so they just decided, you know, you're the preacher's kid, so uh, we're going to let you lead the Lord's Prayer for the team before we go out and take the field, and that's what we did. They, they said, will you do it? And I said, yeah. Now, what they didn't understand is I'm not from that tradition that quotes the Lord's Prayer every week, it's, uh, but I knew it, right, and so I could recite it. Um, and they felt like they had done something spiritual at that moment. Can I tell you they didn't? They just recited words. Can, can I humbly suggest that for many of us, we recite the words of the Lord's Prayer, and it means zilch. It's a ritual we follow. It's a religious practice that we pursue. It's a tradition of our family or our church, and it means absolutely nothing. Jesus didn't give us words to recite. He gave us a prayer, a model of a prayer to follow. And prayer is not some tradition that we pursue, but rather it is an intimate relationship with the living God brought to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, my hope and prayer is that we would take hold of the model that Jesus established for us. Because really, God has given us this, this model 
to pray so that we might practice his presence so that we might experience the joy and the happiness and the satisfaction that God longs to give us. By the way, you know that's what dads want to do. I'm the dad of four daughters, uh, the father-in-law to a son-in-law, which makes him kind of my son. We have uh, two dogs and a cat. I don't count them as part of the family. Others in my family might, but they're not part of the family. But I have four daughters, a son-in-law, and a wife. And I am dad to my daughters. My daughters can call me right now. And they can say, Dad, I need you. And can I tell you, my response is going to be, let us pray, and I will leave, and I will go find out what they need. Why? Because that's what dads do. Dads long to run to the aid and the help of their children, their sons and daughters. Why? Because we want, our desperate desire is to set the pathway for our children to experience joy and happiness and satisfaction in life. It's built into a dad's DNA to long and desire for their children to experience joy and happiness and satisfaction. That's what I want for my girls. And my son-in-law, not my dogs or cat, but, but for, my, for my family. Yes, that's my desire. So, so I will move to respond to their request or their need or whatever's going on. That's what dads do. Can I tell you that that is who God is for those who know him? When Jesus begins the prayer in Matthew 6, first words, our Father who art in heaven, our Father. Now, let's just stop there. I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of our time thinking about God, our Father. Can, there, there are two aspects of this that I think is important for us to take hold of. first aspect is our Father tells us who can talk to God. Now, I know this is, not, this is indelicate, and it's not, it's not super sensitive to the cultural climate in which we live, It's certainly not politically correct, but it is biblically correct, and I'd rather be biblically correct than politically correct, and and I hope you would as well. But can I just tell you that the only people that can practice the presence of God in prayer, the only people whose prayer actually reaches the ears and the heart of the Father are those who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ and no one else. And again, I know that's indelicate. It's not inclusive in the way that people measure inclusivity, but it is the truth. When Jesus said, our Father, he's saying, look, I belong to the Father because he is literally my Father. He said, but we belong to the Father through, uh, that his disciples belong to the Father through faith in Jesus. The way that we are brought into the family of God is not by sitting in a church pew or a church seat or, or a church building or, 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 or anything else uh, sanctimonious. That doesn't give us access to God. What gives us access to God is that we see that Jesus, the Son of the living God, God in the flesh, become man, uh, died on a cross for my sin. Now, my sin had separated me from God, and there was no way that I could enter into the family of God because of my sin. But I see Jesus who hung on a cross and died for me. In him, in the shedding of his blood, I find forgiveness for my sin. And it's only, only, 
only through the shedding of his blood that I find forgiveness for my sin. So when I see Jesus and I see his sacrifice in my place on a cross and I am under conviction, feeling the burden of my sin and the separation that I have shackled to the shame of my life, I then fall before Jesus and I beg his mercy and I find his forgiveness. I abandon myself into his arms. I turn from my sin and my self-independence and all that other stuff that I've been holding on to. I turn away from that and I trust fully and completely and solely in Jesus Christ. He becomes my savior in that moment. He rescues me from my sin. He takes me by the hand. He pushes me through the veil of separation between me and God, brings me into the very presence of God. And then he says, dad, this is Eric. He is now your son. And dad, God, the father opens his arm and he says, Welcome to the family. If you have never experienced that life-changing encounter with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have no right to say, our Father. And and I get that. I know how that's not, I know, I know, I know. People are, oh, what about this? No. The Bible is clear. There's no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. You are separated from God, separated from the covenant of promise because of your sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved you and me, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he gives us Jesus to make us alive and to bring us into the presence of God. Here's good news. See, our Father is... Is, is, it, it tells us who has access to God, but it also tells us that, that God's delight. Do you realize God's delight? His, his longing is for you who are separated from him by sin to be brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. God delights in making you part of his family. If you trust in Jesus as the rescuer of your sin... Rescue of your life and forgiver of your sin. You trust in Jesus and turn from your sin. Repent and believe. If that, that's the pathway, maybe that's what you need to do today. But there's no way to practice the presence of God until, until you enter into God's family. So the first thing about our Father is that it tells us who can and cannot pray to God. And it be heard. Everything else is a ritual. Everything else is a religious journey. There are a lot of people who pray, but their prayers don't... Go past the ceiling, so to speak. I'm not not being harsh. I'm just telling you, that's the way it was for me before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a sweet little old five-year-old boy asking for more peanut butter. God, will you just give me a little more peanut butter for my sandwich? And although that's cute and it's nice, that is not a prayer that God hears because I am separated from God by my sin. Does that make sense? God is gracious, but he doesn't violate his own way of doing things. All right? So he's a, he is a father who longs for you and me to be part of his family. He does that right now. He longs for you to be part of his family. The other thing about our father is it tells us that we have immediate, if, if indeed we're part of his family, we have immediate access to him. He, he longs to, he longs and delights in providing the pathway for you and for me to experience blessedness. Because that's what dads do. 
But sometimes what needs to happen is that dads have to adjust the perspective of their children. Now, if you're a parent, this is dads and moms, but if you're a parent, you know that your children, you want them to experience joy, happiness, and a satisfied life. Their ideas of how to get joy, happiness, and a satisfied life are not always the best ideas. Y'all know this to be true, right? And it is unhealthy and irresponsible as a parent to give our children everything they think will bring them happiness, joy, and satisfaction. Y'all ought to write that. That's like gold. If you're, if you're, I mean, that is gold. Preacher said. It is unhealthy just to give them what it, oh, daddy, I want a horse for Christmas. Now, the father's heart, well, honey, I know you want a horse. I'm so excited that you want a horse. Horses are so sweet. We like horses. But honey, I hope you know that we live in an apartment. Third floor of the apartment building. We have a patio that is two by five. We don't have a backyard. Honey, I know you, but daddy, I want a horse. Honey, I know you want a horse for Christmas. And honey, I want you to have joy. I want you to be happy. And I want you to have satisfaction. But can I tell you, if we get a horse for Christmas, after buying the horse and putting the horse in the barn and, and, and providing all the grain and the hay and all that the horse is going to need, can I tell you, we're going to have to live with the horse in the barn. <laughs> and that will not lead to your, mine, or your mother's happiness, joy, or satisfaction. But, Daddy, I want a horse for Christmas. I get that, but you're not going to get a horse for Christmas. Now, that's reasonable, isn't it? Doesn't that that make sense? Do you realize that as Jesus breaks apart the prayer, the model prayer, the first section of this prayer is the readjustment that needs to take place in your mind and in my mind and our hearts as children of God. It's that journey that God has to take us on to realign our perspective. So Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, and and what he's doing is he's saying, okay, look, I want to set the pathway for you and and those who belong to me, to the Father. I want you to experience the intimate, soul-satisfying communion with God. So Jesus gives us this prayer. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to break this prayer, this model prayer, this pattern that you're to follow. I'm going to break it into two pieces. The first piece talks about God. And it's the second piece that talks to God about us. But the first piece talks to God about God and about our relationship to God and everything centered on God. And so as we look at this piece, I want us to understand that if we're going to pray in a way that that leads us to joy, to happiness, and to satisfaction then we need to aim our hearts for God's glory. In prayer, we need to set our aim on God's glory. This is the way Jesus prayed. Not only do we see it here, but in John chapter 17, you remember John 17. John 17 verses 1 through 26 is is called the high priestly prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he's about to be killed. 
And he knew that he was about to be arrested. He's going to go through all the beating and all the ridicule. And he's going to get ready to go to the cross. And he's going to die for sinners like you and me. And this was about to happen. And so Jesus begins to pray. And we hear him pray. But listen to the words of his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. So that your son might also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I finished the work you've given me to do. I brought you glory on this earth. You see the theme of Christ's prayer at the very beginning. Father, your glory, not mine. Your glory, your honor, your fame, your purpose. His heart was aimed for God's glory. And so when we pray, instead of rushing in with our laundry list and our Christmas wish list, we need to start by saying, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those three petitions, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those three petitions is, is the... Uh, is the picture of us aiming our heart for God's glory. It's us saying, Father, hallowed be thy name. Not my honor, but yours. Father, move in such a way in my life. Adjust my perspective and adjust my way of looking and living so that I am living for your honor. Hallowed be your name. And, and may it be in my life, in our family, in our church, in our commonwealth, in our world, may it be on the earth just as it is in heaven. Your honor above all things. Okay? When you pray, are you praying for God's honor above all things? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God. Now, the, the name of God is the character and the person of God. The kingdom of God is God's person invading this realm with his rule. It's God moving throughout this United States of America, Commonwealth of Virginia, First Norfolk, Eric Thomas home and family and life. And it's God's rule becoming the way of life for me. So in prayer, I'm saying, Father, uh, your honor, not mine, your honor above all things. And then second, Father, not my way, but your rule. Not what, not, not God. Have you ever noticed that there are people, and I'm one of those people at different times, where I think I'm the center of the universe and all of you all are planets that revolve around and, and, and are drawn by the gravitational pull of my own desires. And, and you might say, well, I've never felt that way. You might want to ask somebody that's really close to you because they'll be able to identify when you have those problems in your life. I, I'm thankful for uh, a dog and a cat that can identify those problems in my life. No, uh, we, ha- we, we all have those moments where we think the only thing that matters is what I want. The only thing that matters, the way the world ought to move is according to my desire. But when we're praying, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, we're saying, God, I'm not praying for my desire. I'm praying for your rule in my life. 
I'm praying for, for your rule in my home. I'm praying for your rule in my church. I'm praying for your rule in, our, uh, in, in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. I'm praying just as your rule is the way of life in heaven, I'm praying for your rule to be the way of my life and our life on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Again, so often our prayers are designed for God, give me what I want. God, it's all about my will. God, I want a horse for Christmas. But see, when we pray the way Jesus prayed, we're saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. On earth, in my life, in my everyday 24-7, 365, in my life, just like it's happening in heaven right now, your will dictate the direction of my everyday. When we begin to pray with our hearts aimed toward heaven, then prayer begins to change us. It begins to change our perspective from wanting our own desires to living for God's will. Can I tell you the reverse is also true that our prayer will always fall flat unless God's glory and honor and fame is the most dominant motivating factor of our prayer. I want you to hear that because you're not going to hear that everywhere. But these three petitions dictate to us our first order of business in prayer. We need to aim our hearts toward God's glory. God, your glory is the most important thing. And if it's not in my life, God, will you give me an adjustment of my perspective? God, I may want a horse for Christmas, but I know that you need your will be done, your kingdom come, hallowed be your name. It's about you, Father, not about me. And when we aim our hearts for God's glory, it then shapes how we ask God to provide. And that's the second part of the prayer. Uh, Asking God to provide is part of the prayer. In fact, that is what dads delight in doing. We delight in helping our children, our sons and daughters. That's, That's what a parent does. We long to help. Don't we? Even when I can't afford it, even, I mean, weddings. What? You want flowers that cost what? Not my children. Those are y'all's children. My my children are good about that. But when we we begin to, to, to hear the request for our children, we long to provide. And God is our loving Father, our perfect Father. He knows exactly what we need even before we uh, can say it. He understands our heart. He understands the nature of our life. He understands you better than you understand you. And so when we ask God to provide, He is going to take us on a journey so that He shows us that He is going to provide exactly what we need at exactly the right time. The three petitions on asking God to provide, the first one is give us this day our daily bread. A daily bread is both literal and metaphorical. It's literal in the sense that God's saying, yeah, I'll take care of your everyday 
physical needs. But it's also metaphorical because it's not just uh, bread for our tummy that he's talking about, but he's also talking bread to nourish our soul. He's talking about bread to nourish our our emotions and our will. He's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. It's going to include a loaf of bread today that you can eat and put some bologna in between. But, But it's going to include more than that, so much more than that. We're asking God to take care of our daily needs, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Are you praying that? God, will you take care of my emotional needs? God, you know my hurt. You know my heart. You know my confusion. You know my frustration. God, will you, will you give me my daily bread? And, and the good thing about that is it's daily. It's not one and done. It's daily. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a season of frustration I need a daily dose of Jesus bread I need a daily dose of emotional or spiritual or physical nourishment from God to satisfy my soul are you asking God for daily bread before we ask uh, the giving give us this day our daily bread the giving only is beneficial When you look at the second petition, the giving is useless without the forgiving. Forgive us our trespasses, even even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness, no matter how many loaves of bread God might give us, if we are still distanced from him by unconfessed sin, then all that bread's not going to make a difference for us. The giving of our daily bread is only beneficial when forgiving is part of that journey. We talked about forgiveness last week. But friends, can I tell you, when you have somebody who has such a rebel heart like I, you need desperately constant confession and repentance so that I might wash my soul daily in the forgiveness that Jesus has purchased me. You want to find joy and happy and satisfaction? Then we need forgiveness to come along with the giving that God does. The giving, the forgiving, and then the last petition is the protecting. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not just that, God, forgive me for the sin I did, but it's also, God, protect me from the sin I'll do. Protect me. When temptation strikes, and it certainly will, when temptation strikes, God, will you give me the strength I need to stand so that his honor might be expanded? You see, all of these prayers for personal provision, they still stem from God getting greater glory. When I need emotional, uh, physical, spiritual help, and I say, God, give me daily bread. God gives me daily bread so that I might be a living testimony of God's glory and honor and fame. God has done this for me. Look what my daddy did. When when I am am struggling with, with sin's consequence and I cry out in confession... No longer letting my bones grow old through my groaning all day long, but I confessed 
my sin before God and my iniquity I did not hide. And, and he forgave the guilt of my sin. Praise God. What a testimony. Look what my dad has done. When the enemy attacks and the onslaught is fierce and I'm calling upon God for double measure protection and he stands with me and he sends his ministering angels to me to help me and to give me the way of escape in the face of my temptation, then I can stand and my testimony uh, is, look how good God is. Look what my dad has done. See, even in the provision, God's glory is still preeminent. Some of us have such an immature view of prayer kind of prayer that sounds more like a little child who only knows to ask for a horse for Christmas. But God wants to adjust our perspective today so that we find true joy, real, live happiness, and right now satisfaction. As he adjusts our perspective, aiming our hearts for his glory, and asking for his provision so that we can live each moment saying, look what my dad has done. I, I don't have time to talk about all the ways that my father my earthly dad has shown me how much he loves me. Edie and I were talking about it yesterday, about a moment in my life and a season when I was, had lived with a rebel heart against my family and against common sense and certainly against God. Edie and I had been dating for a little while then and have you ever been down that path where you feel like, all right, I, I know I've made mistakes and I know I've sinned, and, but I'm going to try to work this out my own way. I'm, I'm going to try to do this myself. Have you ever been in that path, walked that path? I, I'm in a hole and I'm just going to keep shoveling dirt even though it keeps landing on me. Uh, I'm just going to keep shoveling dirt because I've got to try to find my way out. I'm going I'm to navigate my way out of this, this pit that I've dug for myself. Have you ever been there? I, I have more than once. And, and so that I just keep digging and keep digging and, and change metaphors. I keep pressing on and pressing on. And it felt like the rope started getting tighter and tighter around my neck and I just couldn't breathe anymore. I finally got to the end. I didn't see any way out of navigating on my own any longer. And even though I was 19 or 20 or 21, however old I was, I, I thought I should be man enough to handle this on my own. And, and, and I'd made mistakes and I'd done bad things and wrong things and, and, and tried to do good things to make up for the bad things. Just it was a mess. And my rebel heart had got me into a fix. And I, I knew, I knew for months, that the only way to fix it would be to make the call. But I refused to make the call. 
my rebel heart and my stubborn heart combined, and I kept pressing on. The news kept getting tighter until finally, on the floor of an apartment, Edie, my future wife watching me on the floor bawling like a baby, determined that there is only one option now. I had to make the call. I dialed the number. My dad gets on the line and I said, Dad, I need help. You know what my dad did? Uh, he didn't condemn me. He didn't try to shame me. He spoke truth into my life on, in those circumstances. He, 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 said, he, he said, Eric, what a mess. You know, and, 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 he, and he said, son, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this together. Son, I love you. Nothing that you've done could ever change how much I love you. Son, we're going we're gonna to walk through this together. Set out a plan. Held me accountable to the plan that we set out. But he loved me all the way through. He met the needs that I had in that moment. He met even deeper needs that I didn't even know I needed. And no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, my dad has loved me the same every single time. Eric, it's a mess, but we're going to get through this together. And Edie and I, as parents, me as a dad, her as a mom, even when our children have done, because of a rebel heart, walked a path that leads them to a pit and the noose keeps getting tighter and they don't know how to escape and they finally make the call and they said, Dad, Mom, I need help. Our response we love you. No matter what you've done, nothing can change our love for you. No matter how bad it may be, we are here for you. We're going to speak truth. We're going to hold you accountable. But we will get through this together. Matthew chapter 7 the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open for you. And he says, You daddies here on earth, you're not perfect, but if your son or daughter asks for bread or a fish, you're going to give them what they need. And then he closes it up in verse 11. He says, your father who is in heaven is the perfect father. How much more will he take care of you when you ask him for help? 
This morning, I want you to know that the Father's arms are open wide. And they're ready to embrace you. Will you come to him for help? Would you bow your heads, please? In these next few moments, I'm going to invite you to aim your heart for God's glory. Maybe what God is doing in your life right now is he's adjusting your perspective so that you see that you have been praying, but it's been a prayer that has been self-focused rather than God-focused. Maybe what needs to happen here in these next few moments, you just need to aim your heart for God's glory. Oh God, not, not, not my honor, but your honor. God, not my rule, but your way. God, not what I want, but what you want. That I might be a living testimony to your greatness. Some of you need to just take these moments and aim your heart for God's glory. Some of you are there already. There's already been that adjustment through a journey of prayer. And this morning, you just need to cry out to the Father. Oh, God, give me my daily bread. God, I need the nourishment now. Oh, God, will you forgive my sin? Oh, God, will you protect me from the temptation and the attack of the enemy? In these next few moments, I invite you just to pray and ask God to provide Some of you are here today and you're not yet part of God's family. And this moment is for you to confess your sin as separation between you and God. To see Jesus as your only hope for rescue. and To call upon Him by faith and repentance so that you will be rescued today and brought into God's family. If that's who you are, ministers are here at the front ready to help on that journey of entering God's family through faith in Christ. My question is, will you come to the altar? Will you come to the altar and call upon our Father in heaven?